Kia ora and welcome to my daily podcast. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is a podcast that goes out with my email newsletter to paying subscribers via the Kaka. And if you're listening to this and you're not a paying subscriber, I'd love you to come and join and you're able to listen to it because the paying subscribers decided to open it up. I do public public interest journalism on issues around housing affordability, climate change and poverty reduction in Aotearoa and I do it by looking and reporting and analysing the trends I see in geopolitics, the global economy and of course our own political economy. Today I wanted to focus on a rather obscure but I think really important piece of academic research that's come out this week. It was done by the University of Otago's public health researchers and it was a one-year study in which just over a thousand people were brought into the study. About a half of them were essentially exempted or told that they wouldn't have to pay the $5 co-payment for picking up prescriptions. So you're probably familiar if you've been to a regular chemist, you normally have to pay $5 to the chemist when you pick up a prescription. The pharmaceuticals themselves may be free, but you still have to pay the $5. And this is a fee that everyone has to pay unless they're children or have a community services card or have done more than 20 prescriptions per year. Now you may say, hang on a minute, I go to Chemist Warehouse and Countdown and I don't have to pay it when I do that. That's true. But the chemist has still has to pay that money to the government. Uh, it used to be the DHB and now it's straight to the government. And this is quite a lot of money actually. In total, uh, it's forecast to be $147 million in 2023-24 according to Treasury Papers. So why would someone be looking to study this? Well, sort of as you expect, it turns out that there are some people who literally cannot afford the $5 fee and choose not to pick up the drugs or use the drugs. And when that happens, they can get sicker. So uh, significant numbers of people have chronic issues such as diabetes, uh, um, obstructive uh, heart congestion, and mental health issues that require regular medication to ensure that they don't have to go to hospital or things don't get a lot worse. So the study essentially created a control group of people who still had to pay the $5 and then about 500 people didn't have to pay the $5 and then they followed them for a year to find out how many times the control group and those not in the control group had to go to the hospital because they were sicker. And what they found was that for every 100 people in the study who didn't have to pay for the prescription, they effectively had more than 100 extra nights in hospital per year because they uh, didn't pick up their scripts. So on the face of it, you have a pretty easy decision to make. The government is collecting $147 million a year in revenues from the co-payment. And this has been in place since 
the late 1980s. In fact, uh, at various points, it's been quite high. It was cut back to around uh, $3 per co-payment uh, uh, under the previous Labor government between 1999 and 2008. And then in 2012, it was increased from $3 to $5 when the government wanted to save some more money. But intuitively, you realise that by asking people to pay, some people won't be able to afford to, and then they'll eventually end up in hospital. And a night in a hospital can cost anywhere between $1,000 per night and $1,500 per night. So when you do the numbers, you can work out that for every dollar that you make in collecting money from the co-payments, you have to spend an extra $18 on paying for the hospital nights for those people who chose not to, or literally couldn't afford to pay the $5. And it's interesting uh, to think about this in terms of a cost-benefit analysis, and in particular to think about the opportunity costs. Because remember, this is a fee that's being charged throughout, and at various points the government's looked at changing the fee or removing it. So in 2012, um, the then national government under John Key and Bill English were very keen to try to reduce spending by the government, or at least spending growth, because they'd just been through the global financial crisis, 2009-10, spent quite a bit of money in various places, uh, supporting uh, incomes, um, bailing out uh, people who had lent money to South Canterbury Finance, and then, of course, the earthquakes in 2010 and 2011 in Christchurch had cost the government a lot of money to help uh, Christchurch deal with the crisis and then start to rebuild. So the government decided that it was very nervous about increasing its deficits and increasing its debt, it was worried that financial markets would revolt and put up New Zealand interest rates, that uh, at one point during that time, New Zealand's credit rating was cut by a notch. And so the main focus of the government then was what's called zero budgets. So this is telling everyone in government not to increase their spending for, in effect, three years in a row. And that implied all sorts of decisions about um, cutting spending growth. And health was one area where the government wanted to try to recover a bit, a bit of extra money. And so the decision was made eventually to increase the co-payment charge from $3 to $5. And actually, Treasury said, hey guys, why don't you go for $10 instead and we'll be able to uh, save ourselves $200 million in uh, deficits and uh, debt. Um, the government of the day decided not to do that, to go from $3 to $10 was seen as too much. But um, that was the Treasury recommendation in 2012. Fast forward now to 2018 and 2019 when the current Labour government is in. The then Health Minister, David Clark, asked, as uh, documents obtained under the Official Information Act show, asked the Health Ministry and eventually Treasury to have a look at what would be the benefits and the costs of removing this $5 co-payment fee. And the, the advice came back from the various officials that, uh, yes, um, it would cost some money and in theory you'd get some benefits and that 
fewer people would be sick and wouldn't go to hospital. But that um, the evidence on how much of a benefit you would get is not necessarily there. Treasury and others have pointed at various points to a 2001 study in Canada, which showed a relatively small improvement. But as it turns out, the design of the study underestimated the effect on those on lower incomes. And this was one of the reasons for this study in New Zealand was to more closely approximate what would happen if you removed the $5 fee. So we know now that the removal of the fee generates $18 in cost reduction for every $1 in revenue given up. But we, we've known this for a long time, that there would be a trade-off. The question is how much of a trade-off and also um, what your term of reference is. Are you thinking about it from the short term? What's it going to do to my budget this year? Or what's it going to do to costs in the long run? And uh, the government has decided repeatedly since the late 1980s to focus on debt reduction, on containing the size of government and the size of the tax take to around about 30% of GDP and to ensure that debt does not rise much above 20 to 30% of GDP. And that's been the dominant uh, thinking within government, within the bureaucracies, the Treasury, and to be frank, National and Labour, which have agreed at various levels and times to um, prioritise debt reduction, capping the level of uh, uh, taxes, having reduced it from over 50% of GDP to more like 30% of GDP in the late 80s, early 90s, to basically keep it there. And that means putting a sinking lid on uh, spending and costs and continually introducing various fees and levies for government charges to keep that growth down. Uh, both Labour and National have committed themselves to limiting the size of the tax take to about 30% of GDP. As recently as a few weeks ago, Grant Robertson did that as well. So that's the impact of how these decisions are made in public and the research from the University of Otago public health researchers is very clear and they have recommended the removal of the $5 copayment. Now interestingly one of the reasons that uh, uh, officials suggested back to David Clark that he do nothing is that in effect Chemist Warehouse and Countdown have been lost leading uh, by not charging people the $5 over the last five years or so, in large part driven by the entry of Chemist Warehouse into the market in 2017 and the rollout of Countdown's pharmacies. There are 37 Chemist Warehouses and 34 pharmacies inside Countdown supermarkets. So there's now wide, reasonably wide coverage. And what that's meant actually is that between 2016-17, when there was a survey done of New Zealand's health, there are regular surveys done where people are asked, you know, how often did you go to the doctor? Um, how much of an effect is having to pay doctor's fees or prescription charges to you in terms of not uh, taking out a prescription? And the percentage of people who have said, I can't afford the prescription, therefore I haven't taken it out, has fallen from about 6.6% in 
2016-17, just before Chemist Warehouse arrived, to 3.3% in the 21-22 survey. So in effect, Treasury and the government have said, uh, we'll just leave this fee in place and we'll let Countdown and the Chemist Warehouse do the heavy lifting for us. They pay the um, lost leader, um, effectively reducing their own profits. Although you could argue um, by encouraging people to come into their store, uh, people will get their prescription and then buy pairs of sunglasses and um, shampoo and the likes. Uh, so maybe it's a net net positive for Chemist Warehouse and Countdown. But certainly, in effect, uh, Treasury and the Health Ministry have said um, we'd quite like to keep collecting that money and claim the benefit from more people going to hospital because they can afford it simply because Chemist Warehouse and Countdown have decided to eat the $5 fee. So I thought I'd point that out just to illustrate how this 30-year-long project of keeping the size of government down flows through into the well-being of our population and how Treasury, which for nearly five years has been preaching a game of uh, we care about these long-term effects and we have cost-benefit analysis that allows us to stop being uh, penny-wise and pound-foolish, how they're not actually doing it and how they haven't done it for a long time and that there are huge opportunities to improve the well-being, the health, the uh, productivity, to reduce the costs of prisons, hospitals, schools, all sorts of services in the long run by investing in infrastructure and spending on services or not charging for services in a way that takes into account the long-term benefits and the long-term costs. Again, short-termism and the constant drive to reduce debt, again, to keep interest rates low and to keep asset prices high, is dominating the thinking, still, of both sides of Parliament through multiple terms of government. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was uh, the Dawn Chorus, my daily podcast. It comes out with my email newsletter, the Kaka, uh, Monday to Friday. Kaki te anō.